You said that he made the statement that global warming was 100% due to human activity. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that. <laughs> well, believe it, Secretary. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Or keep pretending. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck From in Pacifica middle. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. In Oregon on 91.7 FM, KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM, Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM, WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM, KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on WLPP 102.9 in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream every single day around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deep Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, uh, as we got off air yesterday, uh, news broke about a fire that had uh, broken out in Burbank, California, just a few miles from our studio here in Los Angeles. From the uh, KPFK Pacifica Radio Studios. And um, as I uh, later went home to try to learn more, well, this from Associated Press. A wildfire burning Wednesday through a dense Arizona forest has forced thousands of people from their homes, closed a major road, and created a huge plume of smoke over the same area that devastated, that was devastated by a blaze that killed 19 firefighters four years ago. That was the so-called Yarnell Hill fire. Remember that one, Desi Doyen? Oh, yes. Very, very, very tragic. Yeah. Uh, the fire now burning uh, is uh, around Prescott, Arizona, a mountain city about 100 miles north of Phoenix. So far, the fire has charged, charred 32 square miles, at least as of last night. More than 500 firefighters are battling that blaze. Uh, thankfully, just one firefighter so far has suffered a minor in injury. The fire forced the evacuation of some 4,000 residents. As I said, it takes place uh, almost exactly on the four-year anniversary of that Yarnell Hill fire. And uh, that was cited by Arizona State Senator Karen Fan, who uh, lives in Prescott, represents that area. She says there's still a lot of fresh memories about that. Meanwhile, elsewhere across the western U.S., a fire in the foothills north of Los Angeles was burning right up to homes before the blaze was finally beaten back. Fifty homes were put under mandatory evacuation orders on the suburban edges of Burbank. That's where... Uh, that fire broke out yesterday near the studio as flames raced uphill through tinder-dry grass. 
Up in central California, a wildfire destroyed the home of Big Bang Theory star Johnny Galecki on a ranch in the San San Luis Obispo area, which reminded me of the uh, the, the, the focus on a star's home. <laughs> uh, reminded me back when I uh, used to live in New York City. It was years ago. There was a satirical, uh, I think it was a New York Post uh, that was put out um, make, mocking the uh, the New York Post way back when, years ago, and the headline was, Nuclear Bomb Explodes, Michael Jackson and Millions Killed. <laughs> kind of reminded of that when they yeah, uh, focused on... focus uh, on yeah. that is weird, but, you know. So that's uh, California and Arizona. Meantime, in Utah, firefighters braced for more high winds uh, as they tried to slow a stubborn wildfire that has so far burned 13 homes, forced the evacuation of 1,500 people, Near a ski resort town, that fire has so far burned some 80 square miles. Up in Washington state, firefighters were battling three uh, blazes near Wenatchee that had uh, grown to about 37 square miles in Idaho. Fire officials say that uh, quick responses by ranchers and others to more than 20 wildfires sparked by lightning have kept these small fires from becoming major blazes. Uh, and that and that's just a few. And that's just in the past 24 hours. Uh, now, we don't know which of those fires yet is the result of global warming directly, but we do know that fires like these are becoming more frequent, more ferocious, more deadly. Desiree, you have covered similarly huge uh, and deadly fires of late in Florida uh, this past week in Portugal and Spain. Uh, and, of course, that is just one of the many effects of global warming. And these fire seasons you have been reporting for years are becoming longer and longer and longer. Yes, fire season is pretty much year-round now, especially out here in the West. And it's it's not that global warming causes it. Global warming exacerbates and intensifies the conditions that create these horrific fire seasons. And that's just, uh, as I said, one of many effects of global warming uh, that are just becoming more and more obvious, even as top officials in the U.S., from the president to his EPA administrator to his secretary of uh, the Department of Energy, continue to deny the science of climate change. And continue to misinform the public about it. So we're going to be joined momentarily here by an author who has written a much needed and very clear explanation of the problem, its cause, and what needs to be done about it. In, in frankly, the article is just written in clear, simple, and stark term, terms, and I think we need a reminder of that every now and again. That's coming up momentarily. Meanwhile... Uh, the battle over health care in D.C., that continues in the U.S. Senate today uh, as it looks increasingly likely that the majority leader, Mitch McConnell, is going to have a very difficult time getting anything passed through his caucus. He may have to hold on to your seat here, work with Democrats. What? In order to try and uh, fix the, the existing problems with Obamacare as well as, I guess, the imaginary ones that Republicans uh, have been uh, complaining about for the past seven years. Uh, whether that can be done is another question. I, and, and frankly, I still think that with some $200 billion to play with, Mitch McConnell will find some way to buy off his caucus. I think that a lot of Democrats and, and uh, progressives out there are, they may think they've dodged this bullet. I'm not so sure at all that that is the case. 
So uh, anyway, we will see. We'll talk more about that uh, in advance of the July 4th recess set for Friday um, soon. Uh, and one other point before we get to my guest here that I'm, I'm loath to even comment on, frankly, because I think it's it's so it's so disgusting. It is so disheartening. Uh, I'm sure you have heard by now that uh, Donald Trump made these really ugly and bitter comments on on Twitter on Thursday about MSNBC's uh, Mika Brzezinski. I don't even want to repeat them here because I think they're so ugly. But, you know, I'm happy to see both Democratic and Republicans coming out and excoriating Trump over those comments today. But I got to tell you, in truth... Those comments really aren't much different from what he had said over and over again about various women during the campaign and in the years prior. And uh, and those Republicans who are, frankly, appropriately expressing disgust today, those same many of those same Republicans were largely silent or, you know, otherwise compliant when he when he said those things uh, earlier in years past. Uh, So. that's all I want. Uh, Des, uh, Desi Doyne, do you have any thoughts on, on this before we move on? <clears throat> yeah, well, I, I think it's it's obviously conduct unbecoming of a president or pretty much any public official to go after someone like that, private or public person. It doesn't matter, uh, you know. But certainly the president of the United I know. States to do that. I know. It's, it's, it's sad, and that's where we are. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's frankly my feeling that I, I, I think I'm more sad by it than anything else. Yeah. I, it's just it's I'm embarrassed for our country. But, you know, that seems to happen quite a quite a bit lately, uh, as it did uh, when when Trump pulled out of the, the Paris Climate Accords. I was embarrassed about that and saddened by it. Uh, and when the EPA administrator and the energy secretary, they went out on cable TV to deny something, to lie about something that is so undeniable and has been scientifically known as such for about 50 years and imperils so many people in our country and around the world. Yeah, it's uh, it's saddening. It's embarrassing. And uh, frankly, I'm embarrassed that the mainstream media continues to give those people an outlet I know it's the energy secretary, it's the EPA administrator, um, but, you know, they're giving them an outlet. They're egging them on to, to say this kind of stuff. Um, and it's just embarrassing. And so, therefore, we have to continue trying and trying here because we have no choice uh, to correct the record. That record will be corrected uh, next, one way or another, here on the broadcast. If we don't, who will? I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today 
to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Hopefully we're not wasting our time. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, before we get to my guest here today, uh, Desi Doyen, you found this film from uh, 1958. 1958. <laughs> Uh, this is an instructional film. Is that what this yes, was? From this is the Bell yeah. Science Labs Hour, which was a big show in the 1950s. It was on television. On the TV? On the actual TV, on an actual broadcast network. Back when a uh, few people had a, a, a chance to miss it because there were so few uh, networks, <laughs> uh, so few things to watch at the time. This was uh, directed by Frank Capra um, in 1958. Uh, th- this clip uh, is amazing. They warned in this clip, we'll play a bit of this, uh, about global warming due to the burning of fossil fuels in terms that are really just on the money as to the same science that we know today. Even now, man may be unwittingly changing the world's climate through the waste products of his civilization. Due to our release through factories and automobiles every year of more than six billion tons of carbon dioxide, which helps air absorb heat from the sun. Our atmosphere seems to be getting warmer. This is bad? Well, it's been calculated a few degrees rise in the Earth's temperature would melt the polar ice caps. And if this happens, an inland sea would fill a good portion of the Mississippi Valley. Tourists in glass-bottomed boats would be viewing the drowned towers of Miami through 150 feet of tropical water. Foreign weather, we're not only dealing with forces of a far greater variety than even the atomic physicist encounters, but with life itself. That was 50 years ago, just about. <laughs> That's uh, right. On uh, the Bell Science Labs, directed by Frank Capra. Uh, warning, exactly the same thing that so many in this uh, this Trump administration uh, is now denying, or at least saying uh, the science is not in. Yes, yeah, so when they say the science is uncertain, they're lying. They're absolutely lying. This has been something that has been studied for more than 150 years, and this was just the first example that I found on video that had been broadcast on television. They can't say that they didn't know. But, you know, maybe they, they, uh, they can't say they didn't know, but, you know, that's just an educational film. It was on TV. Uh, if that's not good enough for you... Or or for lawmakers, uh, just a week or so ago was the 29th anniversary of climate scientist James Hansen, uh, then the chief of NASA's Goddard Institute, testifying to the U.S. Senate on health. Uh, this was a U.S. Senate Committee on Health and Natural Resources on the threat of climate change due to man-made emissions from the burning of fossil fuels. Now, this was, I think, the first time that this uh, topic had come up uh, certainly so directly in the U.S. Congress. Again, uh, June 23, 1988, as Hansen 
for the first time in public, but certainly in, in the U.S. Congress here, attempted to ring the warning bell on global warming. The global warming is now large enough that we can ascribe, with a high degree of confidence, a cause and effect relationship to the greenhouse effect. So we move from that film in 1958, 30 years later, to 1988, when it finally makes its way into Congress as testimony from one of the nation's top scientists. Now, incredibly, uh, while few had noticed his testimony way back when, it's nearly impossible to find that testimony even now, Des. (laughs) You said you looked all over trying to find the audio, and we could only find that one little clip? Yes, to be honest, I have been looking for this clip for years, literally, and it's it's really difficult to find... uh, that you can't even find it at C-SPAN. I even called the C-SPAN archives and they said, you know, back then we didn't archive everything. So they're going to look for it, but they don't think they have it either. So it's really hard. I did find one, however, that was dubbed entirely in German. So that was pretty unhelpful. So it's out there somewhere. Somebody Someone has, has it. it somewhere. Yeah. So, uh, but again, uh, so while we had trouble finding the video, that was uh, from June, uh, well, June 23rd, 1988. The next day on June 24, 1988, the New York Times reported on that testimony in this way in an article headlined, Global Warming Has Begun, Expert Tells Senate. That was the headline in the New York Times, June of 1988. They write, the Earth has been Warmer in the first five months of this year than in any comparable period since measurement began 130 years ago. Uh, And higher temperatures can now be attributed to a long-expected global warming trend linked to pollution, a space agency scientist reported today. Until now, they write, scientists have been cautious about attributing rising global temperatures of recent years to the predicted global warming caused by pollutants in the atmosphere known as the greenhouse effect. But today, Dr. James E. Hansen of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration told a congressional committee that it was 99% certain that the warming trend was not a natural variation but was caused by a buildup of carbon dioxide and other artificial gases in the atmosphere. That was the New York Times reporting in 1988. Of course... A lot has changed since 1988, and the science about which Hansen described at the time as having a high degree of confidence has only gotten radically more well-documented since then. Study after study, year after year, as the threat and the certainty of its causes have become clearer and clearer and clearer. And yet, at the same time, over the same period, over those decades... The fossil fuel industry has spent millions and millions of dollars to try and confuse the public about that science. And they've done a heck of a job uh, doing exactly that, particularly after the 2010 Citizens United decision by the U.S. Supreme Court. Money has poured in uh, from the fossil fuel industry to the campaigns of mostly Republicans, but Democrats as well who have taken the lead in denying the science, the well-documented science of climate change, any way that they can. And that's a task that has been uh, made more difficult by the increasingly obvious effects of climate change, the, the task of confusing the public. The public is starting to notice because of these you know, obvious effects at this point of climate change, both here in the U.S. and around the globe. Nonetheless, the tactics of denial and obfuscation have, 
necessarily changed over the years because of that, but they still go back to an effort to say and do anything to avoid taking responsibility for the fact that the burning of fossil fuels by man is leading to irreparable harm to our planet's atmosphere and the survivability of mankind in that atmosphere in the bargain. It's incredible that we even have to do this show today, but yes, apparently we do. With a global warming denier now in the White House, a man who has described climate change as a hoax perpetrated by the Chinese, who is now attempting to pull the U.S. out of the landmark Paris Climate Agreement, the largest international pact ever struck, with some 200 countries signed on to the effort, which took 25 years to hammer out. It's little wonder that his federal agency heads would be working hard to continue to confuse the public and that they are able to find fossil fuel-friendly television networks on which to do it. Here is EPA Chief Scott Pruitt, formerly the Oklahoma Attorney General who sued the EPA more than a dozen times and who was caught copying and pasting fossil fuel industry remarks about EPA regulations in a letter sent to the Obama administration. Here he is about two weeks ago or so lying about the science of climate change on CNBC with host Joe Kernan. Do you believe that it's been proven that CO2 is the primary control knob for climate? No, I think that that measuring with precision uh, human activity on the climate is something very challenging to do, and there's tre- tremendous disagreement about the, the degree of impact. So, no, I would not agree uh, that it's a primary contributor uh, to, the, to the global warming that we see. Okay. All right. But we don't know that yet. As far as we, we, need, we need to continue the debate and to continue the review and the analysis. It's, 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 it's a, I agree. When I hear the science is settled, it's like I've, I never heard that science actually gotten to a point where it was that's that's the whole point of science is that uh, you keep asking questions you keep asking questions but i don't want to be called a denier so uh, you know scares me it's, it's a terrible thing to be called anyway administrator pruitt i know you don't want to be called that either um thanks for being with us this morning i appreciate it that was uh cnbc's climate denier host joe kernan with uh, climate denier epa head scott pruitt and more recently Uh, Just last week, Trump's Department of Energy Secretary Rick Perry, long a friend of the oil and gas industry as uh, Texas governor, offered a similarly shameful hedge against the known science of climate change and global warming. The known science known now for at least 50 years. When Scott Pruitt was on, uh, I asked him whether he believed that CO2 was the primary control knob for climate. And he said no. Uh, You've mentioned CO2 a couple of times in emissions. I was wondering, do you believe CO2 is the primary control knob for the temperature of the Earth and for uh, for climate? No, most likely the primary control knob is the um, uh, ocean waters and uh, this environment that we live in. So the environment we live in is responsible for the environment we live in. That was uh, Department of Energy Secretary Rick Perry on CNBC. Uh, In a post entitled Global Warming in a Nutshell this week, author Tony Russell cites Jim Hansen's 1988 testimony to Congress and notes that that year, 1988, was warmer at the time than any other year in the global temperature records, which began way back in 1880. Now, he says, it doesn't even make the top 10. 
So far, our new century, Russell writes, has seen 16 of the top 17 warmest years ever recorded, with each of the last three years setting an all-time record. That is not a natural progression, he says. For 29 years now, we have been officially on notice. And I think he lowballs it there, but uh, going from Hansen's uh, testimony, 29 years now we have been officially on notice that global warming is taking place and poses serious threats to life as we know it. And for 29 years, as global temperatures have climbed, we have been unable to muster a serious response. His article, marking the 29th anniversary of Hansen's historic appearance in the U.S. Senate, lays out in stark, simple terms much of what has been sort of fogged over by the unrelenting decades-long effort by the fossil fuel industry and their bought-and-paid-for politicians, uh, hoping to and successfully having obscured what we actually do know about the science. Joining us to talk about it now is Tony Russell. He's a naturalist living in Charlottesville, Virginia, focusing on forests and climate, who came to focus on climate seven or eight years ago while working on a book on threats to forests. He is currently at work on his book called Climate Change in the Peaceable Kingdom. His piece, Global Warming in a Nutshell, caught my eye as it was uh, republished this week at the website of our friend, author and activist David Swanson's WarIsACrime.org. The piece was originally published on Tony's personal blog of Principalities and Powers. Tony Russell, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Oh, it's good to be here, Brad. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, listen, I want to step through your, your piece, Global Warming in a Nutshell, because it's one of the, frankly, one of the simplest, most straightforward explanations of the current problem. Uh, and I should say the mon monumental task and, and danger that we face right now regarding climate change. Uh, one, one of the most simple ways of spelling it out that I've come across in a while. Now, we cover a fair bit of climate issues here on the broadcast and on the Green News Report, uh, but I think it's important to sort of get back to the simple basics every now and again, uh, as opposed to presuming that, you know, folks actually understand the problem and its cause and it, how severe it really is and what needs to be done. Um, and obviously that's more true now with this administration and its head's you know, at the EPA and the Department of Energy blatantly misinforming the public. So I want to step through that, but I know you're not a scientist yourself, uh, and that may be why your article is helpful here. It, it's very clear and unsciency. Before we step through that, though, you told me off air that, like James Hansen, you tend to see this issue through the eyes of, uh, of our grandchildren. Is that right? It is. I have nine grandchildren, a couple of whom were over in the house uh, just an hour ago, so they're very much in my mind. And and I think that's one of the problems with this issue, uh, in fact, is, is why it's so difficult to deal with and take action on. It's so difficult to see in many ways. It's so far down the event horizon in some ways. Uh, you sort of have to look at it through your grandchildren's eyes. Uh, you know, and, and hell, in, s in some cases, people are, some lucky people are even enjoying it. You know, in, in places in the U.S. and some places where the winters used to be freezing cold, you can now play golf all year round these days. Uh, global warming is great for those folks, Tony. It has its pluses, but those are those are temporary, I think. And in some ways, I'm starting to see our situation as desperate. Uh, when you have warming in the pipeline with mm -hmm. CO2 hanging in the atmosphere that's going to 
continue to re-radiate heat for tens of thousands of years, and we keep adding new new carbon dioxide to the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no way to stop it. We're losing a, a runaway train, and I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure the, the planet can take much more of this. You uh, spell that out uh, in sort of uh, three, uh, the core science behind the greenhouse effect and global warming in in sort of three uh, bullet points that I think are very clear. One, carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases trap heat by absorbing infrared radiation. Two, the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is steadily increasing, so more and more heat is being trapped, thus warming the planet. And three, human production of carbon dioxide dioxide is almost entirely responsible for the increased carbon dioxide levels and hence uh, for much of the warming. So uh, that seems to me to be very clear. uh, But now some denier uh, skeptics, whatever you want to call them, they like to charge that it's the the position of the sun relative to the earth that's causing increased heat or volcanic eruptions, other natural phenomenon that is responsible for spewing the CO2 into the atmosphere. Uh, in other words, man has little to do with it, according to these folks. Uh, how, do, how do we know differently? And, and you talk a little bit about this, the CO2, the fact that we know the added CO2 in the atmosphere is different than the other CO2 that uh, is found, the, the CO2 from the burning of fossil fuel. Can you speak to that a little bit, Tony? Um, if you're talking about point number three, how do we, how do we know that the added mm-hmm. carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is that which was produced by human activity? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty straightforward. There are a number of ways, actually, but the simplest that you can document that is we have air samples dating back at least to 1958 when Charles Keeling started sampling air at Mauna Loa Observatory in Hawaii. And the carbon dioxide from fossil fuels lacks a carbon isotope called carbon-14. That isotope is given off by plant material. So anything that nature is producing would have a significant percentage of that C14 carbon dioxide isotope. But fossil fuels, uh, the isotope C14 is radioactive. It has a lifetime of about 50,000 years. Fossil fuels have been buried in the earth for millions of years, so the C-14 has entirely died out in it. Mm. And you can take an instrument called a mass spectrometer Mm -hmm. and run the gas sample through it, and it will tell you how much of the carbon dioxide is C-14 and how much is in the other isotopes. And as the carbon from the fossil fuels accumulates in the atmosphere, the C-14 in the samples continues to shrink proportionally. Mm -hmm. So you can tell how much of the new added carbon dioxide came from the burning of fossil fuels because the C-14 is absent. So it, this isn't a question about how much uh, the, the, the CO2 in the atmosphere is due to mankind and the burning of fossil fuel. We are able to 
identify pretty much exactly how much of that carbon dioxide because we can tell the difference uh, between the, the, the molecules. One is You can measure yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. You can measure it. So when guys like uh, Rick Perry and uh, Scott Pruitt say that, uh, well, man might be causing some of the warming, we don't know how much, uh, is is that true in any way, shape, or form? And why do you think they're making the arguments, or at least clouding the arguments in their statements? Well, I think it pays off for them in one way or another. It pays off for them financially, or it pays off in terms of power. Mm Mm-hmm political power but uh, I'm sorry I missed the other part of the question if you could repeat that well I, I I'm wondering why uh, basically why you think guys like that are making that argument even after all of these years all of these decades of uh, of science which is demonstrable and yet they seem to continue to deny it and I'm wondering why you think they are, are so invested in that well the fossil fuel industry right now is the engine that drives economic activity for the entire planet, which means that it's horrifically profitable. And if you divert that income away and invest it in uh, non-fossil fuels and renewable energy, you pull the financial rug out from people who are invested heavily in it. You uh, recognize that most people, as you describe it uh, in your article, now understand, quote, that we need to transition away from CO2 producing fossil fuels to clean, renewable forms of energy that don't increase the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere. I'm not quite as certain, Tony, that most people do, in truth, really understand that. But either way, I, I, I certainly agree with your contention that most people are not aware of how quickly we need to cut those greenhouse gases and how deeply we must cut them. You put that matter into stark terms in your piece, and, and really it, it amounts to just simple math, I think, as you describe it. Can, can you explain that math for us briefly? Uh, right. The, the problem is that nature can handle the CO2 put out by normal natural activity Mm -hmm. and when humans produce as we do by the burning of fossil fuel unnatural co2 into the process nature isn't able to handle all of that it's not able to process it and it can only handle about 50 percent of it so each year 50 percent of our human generated emissions are going into the atmosphere and will remain there. Some of it, about 20%, will last tens of thousands of years. So people seem to be happy right now that emissions for the last couple of years have stabilized, but stabilization simply means that we're still running a level that piles huge amounts of carbon dioxide in addition each year into the atmosphere, a lot of it will remain for, as I say, tens of thousands of years. Mm -hmm. If you want to stop adding to the CO2 in the atmosphere, then humans have to cut their emissions by 50%, 50% from current levels. If the figures you see Mm -hmm. are usually on the order of cutting emissions by 20% by, say, the year 2025, 
every year that you hold it at 20%, then 30% will go into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. CO2 levels will keep on climbing. More long-term warning will be locked in. That, that's really, it really is that simple. It, it, it is. Uh, 50% absorbed by uh, natural processes and 50% we have to do something with and even a cut of 20% still leaves 30% in the atmosphere. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult uh, for, you know, to make folks understand the urgency at this point, Tony Russell, that the genie here cannot be put back into the bottle, even if we manage to cut emissions to zero. Uh, We are still pumping all of this uh, CO2 into the atmosphere, increasing the warming that is going to, and the CO2 will remain for uh, centuries, uh, tens of thousands of years. Um, Right. Yeah. Excuse me for interrupting. Yeah, about about 20%, they say, will last that long. Mm -hmm. Some of it will be taken up eventually by the ocean. Some of it will be taken up by plants, but... A sizable proportion will be almost a permanent addition to the atmosphere. You write that the minimum realistic goal is to cut CO2 emissions by 50%, and the realistic timeline is as soon as humanly possible so that we can then taper down to zero emissions. But even the Paris Climate Accord, Tony, uh, that Trump is now trying to pull out of because he, I guess, suggests, oh, it's just too radical. Even the Paris Accord does not come anywhere close to calling for those kinds of emissions cuts, does it? I mean, this is something I talk to scientists all the time, and you know, they're saying one thing needs to happen, but publicly, it seems, uh, we're doing something else entirely. I think the hope uh, with the Paris negotiators was that they could start the ball rolling, that they could set goals that were doable, and then once people had begun seriously working on the problem and it found that it was doable, that they could achieve more than the goals they've committed themselves to. So that instead of setting themselves up to fail, they were setting themselves up to surpass the goals that they set. I think that was the idea. Yeah, well, I, I, I guess my uh, the thought that comes to mind, uh, and this was even before Trump uh, announced his intention to try to pull out of Paris, was can this be done? Will this be done? Or uh, is your feeling at this point, Tony, that we're generally kind of (laughs) screwed? Well, as I said earlier, I I think the situation is desperate. And part of the reason for writing this column was to make it clear without going into all of the effects how desperate it is. And, you know, people know that, I think, Likely effects include sea levels rising and more fierce heat waves. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I don't think most people are aware of consequences like the drying out of soils, which are going to make agriculture much more unreliable. And when you uh, when you keep building up the world's population with less arable land. Mm-hmm. And with sea levels encroaching and driving people away from the seacoast where the bulk of the world population lives back into the interior, uh, I just don't see how that 
how that's workable uh, ecologically. You uh, you conclude your piece, Global Warming in a Nutshell, uh, by writing, what we think of as other issues keep pressing themselves on us. Health care, terrorism, poverty, immigration, hunger. But the fact is, global warming will worse every one of these dramatically on a planetary scale and will do irreparable harm in many other ways. Global warming is the biggest, most comprehensive threat the world faces. Dealing with it must become the number one priority on our political agenda. It's hard to disagree with that argument, Tony. Uh, last question here. Uh, what would you recommend uh, that people do at this point to, to help that uh, uh, become the number one priority on our political agenda? Well, I keep asking myself that question, and I don't have a good answer. You know, people suffer... Uh, sacrifice themselves and die for uh, ending slavery. They sacrificed, suffered, and died to bring about civil rights movement. The same thing for winning the right for workers to organize. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to take effort on that kind of scale with that kind of sacrifice to force the people who control the world economy to shift before it's too late. Tony Russell is the author at the uh, blog of Principalities and Powers. You can find that at ofprincipalitiesandpowers.blogspot.com. You can also find his article, Global Warming in a Nutshell, at our friend David Swanson's website, warisacrime.org. Tony, thank you for putting this into stark terms. I really recommend people read that piece, Global Warming in a Nutshell. Uh, it's, it's simple. It's to the point. But I think um, in this complicated world, sometimes it's nice to have a very simple, straightforward explanation of the uh, problems and the severity of those problems that we face. So thank you very much for that article, Tony, and for joining us today on the broadcast. You're welcome, Brad. Thank you. You bet. Okay, quick break, and I want to come back with this uh, exchange between Rick Perry, our friend, the Department of Energy Secretary, and Al Franken. Speaking of uh, testimony in the U.S. Senate that has not gotten the attention it deserves, we'll have that and a little bit more right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I don't want to set the world on fire. Nope. <laughs> I just want to start a flame in your heart. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I want to play this uh, exchange between Rick Perry and uh, Senator Al Franken. 
last week, I think, in the U.S. Senate. But, Des, you had a, a point about uh, Tony Russell's assertion there regarding the fact that natural forces like the oceans and the, the trees, etc., are able to absorb about 50 percent of the human-caused emissions uh, of uh, of global warming gases from the burning of fossil fuels. Yes, and he is absolutely right about that. You know, when trees, they take in our carbon dioxide, for example, the ocean absorbs our carbon dioxide. However, there was a new study that came out this week in the New York Times. It's a, You can read the report about it. And it says that even though humanity's emissions of carbon dioxide have stabilized, and that is great news, it has stabilized, Unfortunately, carbon atmosp- atmospheric carbon is still rising, and that has led scientists to wonder what exactly is going on. One of the things that they suspect is that it may be that some of these natural carbon sinks are not able to keep up with the amount that we're putting they're out. They're all full up. They're, they're well, all they're full, full up. up. And, it, you know, these are natural processes that right. take a long time. And there have been some studies that predicted that maybe these carbon sinks would stop being able to absorb the carbon and would actually burp some of it back out again. So oh, this may be where we are, but we don't know. And it'll take a couple of years of research to discover But, that. you know, this is one of the reasons why I was so concerned in the lead up to the election last year you know, about what happened, about what direction we decided to take. Because, uh, you know, once these knuckleheads realize or at least are willing to acknowledge how wrong they are, it, it could well be too late. This, uh, you know, the CO2 stays in the atmosphere for tens of thousands of years. And by that, by the time they realize, yeah, we need to do something about it to save ourselves, it will very likely be too late. Last week, Energy Secretary Rick Perry uh, as uh, Joe Rome, uh, Dr. Joe Romey's uh, former energy secretary, uh, deputy energy secretary himself. I think, yes, assistant yeah. undersecretary for renewable energy at the yeah. Department of Energy during the Clinton administration. We've had him on the show uh, many times over the years. Uh, he cites this uh, video uh, where Rick Perry sort of lost his cool with uh, Al Franken. Senator from Minnesota, uh, when he informed him that scientists have determined that, yes, humans are entirely the cause of recent warming, not just most of it, but all of it. Uh, This was uh, several years ago when uh, he notes when the leading climate scientists around the world uh, found found this out back in 2013. Uh, that, in fact, humans were responsible for all recent warming. They decided to focus instead at the time on the statistical likelihood that about humans being the, the cause. And so there was the sort of this focus on how much you know certainty we had that humans were the cause, 95 to 100 percent certainty. But what got overlooked was the fact that, yes, they did find that, in fact, Man is responsible for all of the recent uh, warming that we have seen on the across the globe, and so it was that part of this so-called debate uh, that Perry had focused on during his recent appearance on CNBC when he attributed the oceans somehow and the environment itself was the cause for the warming of the oceans and the <laughs> environment that we played in that previous segment, but. Uh, Here was that exchange between Franken and Perry when Franken pointed out that, yes, even a Koch Brothers funded scientist found that, yes, man is responsible for all of the recent warming. Secretary Perry, at your confirmation hearing, you acknowledge that the climate is changing. 
But on Monday, you were asked on CNBC, do you believe CO2 is the primary control knob for the temperature of the Earth and for climate? And you answered no. So if the climate is changing and if you disagree that CO2 is the primary driver, what do you think is driving the change? Yes, sir. And, and I'll, I'll finish the rest of that uh, interview for the public. That may have not gotten um, as much coverage as me saying that I did not think that CO2 was the primary knob uh, that changes it. Uh, I don't. Um, I, I think there are some other uh, naturally occurring uh, events, uh, the warming and the cooling of our, uh, of our ocean waters and some you know, other activities that occur. I also said in the next breath uh, that man's impact does, in fact, uh, have uh, an impact on, on the climate. Uh, and the question is, what is going to be the economic impact for this country? Even an individual as uh, celebrated from the standpoint of his capabilities, the Undersecretary of Energy under the previous administration, Stephen he said that the science isn't settled yet, and I asked the committee, and I'll ask you, uh, d d don't you think it's okay to have this conversation about, uh, you know, the, the science of, of, of climate change? And uh, why don't we have a, a red team approach and sit down, you know, get the politicians out of the room and, and, and let the scientists... Uh, and, and listen to what they have to say about it. I, I, I'm pretty okay. comfortable that, you know, the, you know I, what's wrong with being a skeptic, I think, is, is uh, about uh, something that we're talking about that's going to have a massive impact on the American economy. Well, you said this thing about, you told Senator Coons that we need a red team, blue team exercise to establish uh, climate change. It's my understanding that in a red team, blue team exercise, a blue team makes an argument, then a red team not tries to knock it down. And the blue team then refines their argument, and they go back and forth until consensus is reached. Um, but that's exactly how science works, including sci uh, climate science. Researchers collect data and make arguments. Peer reviewers poke holes in the argument. The researchers respond, and it goes back and forth until consensus is reached. Every peer-reviewed climate study goes through that red team, blue team treatment, and then thousands of studies are gathered into reports, and those reports themselves go through rigorous red team, blue team. And this is, this, that's the scientific process. Uh, you, and you're not the first to do red team, blue team. The Koch brothers hired a red team of, of skeptics in 2012 in an effort to cast doubt on mainstream science. It was called the BEST Project, and much to the chagrin of their funders, the skeptical scientists found that mainstream climate science is correct. To quote the scientific director of BEST, Dr. Richard Muller, call me a converted skeptic. It was in 2000. 13 or 14. Last year, following an intensive research effort involving a dozen scientists, I concluded that global warming was real and that the prior estimates of the rate of warming were correct. And I'm now going a step further. Humans are entirely the cause. Now, if you say 
that this is, is caused by the warming of the oceans, the, ocean, the reason the uh, oceans are warming is because they absorb, water absorb the heat. That's why sea level is rising, because when, uh, when the uh, water heats, it expands, and also because of the melting of the ice caps. This is not, there's no peer-reviewed study that doesn't say this is happening. And, and the biggest uh, proponent of this is our military. And they, in their quadrennial review, say this is the biggest threat to our world. The, the time for red team, <laughs> I'm sorry, is it, we've, that's what we do every day. That's what scientists do every day. And 100% of peer-reviewed scientists have a consensus, and that is that this is happening. Senator, you said something that caught my attention in your remarks, that the person who had become a skeptic, that a, a converted skeptic, mm -hmm. and you said that he made the statement that global warming was 100% due to human activity. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that. 100%? Every bit of that global warming? Don't buy it. Well, um, thank you, Senator Franken. I, I'd just like to res well, respond to that. That was someone hired by the Koch brothers. <laughs> Listen, everybody's hired somebody that's got something wrong from time to time. But to stand up and say that a hundred percent of global warming is because of human activity, uh, I think, on its face, is just indefensible. We're probably oh. not going to resolve that here today, so let's go to Senator Hoven. Hence, we should have a red-blue team approach to this. <laughs> so, uh, Joe Rome goes, it's just incredible. That scientist from the, uh, the Koch brothers, uh, uh, Richard Muller, uh, came out a few years ago. and He's a physicist at yeah. Berkeley. Yeah, and, and he was funded by these guys. He used to be a skeptic, and then he comes out and says, uh, no, now that we have looked at all the data... This is what we know. And in fact, as uh, Joe Rome writes, uh, it is the opposite of indefensible, uh, which uh, Perry accused him in their in their 2013 assessment. The uh, IPCC's top climatologists, actually the world's top climatologists, concluded that the best estimate is that humans are responsible for all of the warming we have suffered since 1950. And that was signed off on by all of the all of the world's major governments. But uh, that assessment was sort of buried. It was a bombshell, but it was sort of buried at the end of, uh, of a paragraph on page 12, he says. And the journalists and uh, science communicators instead focused on the, the likelihood of these assessments, the 95 to 100 uh, percent likelihood. Yeah, and I would like to just finish with one thing really important here. I think Perry asked what is the economic impact of cutting fossil fuels, of reducing our emissions, and what he's not talking about, what deniers never talk about, is the, the economic impact if they are wrong. The economic impact of runaway climate change is actually a catastrophic impact on the economy. Yeah, remember back in uh, years ago across Fox News, they used to talk about, well, we don't know for sure if Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction. But what if he's wrong? We can't take we can't take that chance. What if he does have them? The cost is just uh, too high if we're wrong about that. 
Um, I would say the same thing is true here, and we actually have decades of science showing that we're not wrong about this. Uh, when you look at all of the latest science, uh, Joe Rome says the best estimate of the human-induced contribution to recent warming since the, uh, 1950 is, quote, all of it as skeptical science uh, uh, sums it up. So uh, kudos to Al Franken for pointing out that repeating and repeating that winning message that, yes, humans are responsible for all of it, as uh, Joe Rome notes. Uh, so what are we going to do about it? Well, that is a question, I guess, for another day. But uh, but the first step to solving a problem is acknowledging it in no uncertain terms, acknowledging what the problem is. And the answer after decades of study by thousands of scientists all over the world, tens of thousands, is that we are. We are the problem, and therefore only we can fix it. But only if we're honest with ourselves about that problem, and only if the public understands the problem and the threat that we are now facing. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to Tony Russell of the Principalities and Powers blog, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate so we can continue to try to report over your public airwaves on a whole lot of stuff that does not get the attention over your public airwaves that they deserve. Uh, you can drop me an email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, where we hope you will share us worldwide, I am simply the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.